Well, it's great to see you, uh, Providence family, uh, and I say that with all sincerity. I was gone last week uh, uh, sick uh, with uh, laryngitis, and so it's great to sing with you and to see you today. And if you're new with us, welcome. We are thrilled that you have joined us. In your Bible, if you want to turn with me, 2 Corinthians chapter 12, uh, we um, are going to read a um, fascinating passage. In fact, they're all fascinating, but for this one, it's, there's... There's some, uh, there's some real parts to this that are both confusing, a little perplexing, uh, maybe strange to your ears. Um, e- even those who know uh, this story, uh, if you've actually think about it for a while, it's, um, uh, there's a whole lot here. But I hope that it's really encouraging to you. Every single one of us, we all carry burdens. And sometimes those burdens are so heavy that they really do threaten to bury us. Where we would say, we would voice or, or, or at... at um, at, at the least think, man, I just feel so overwhelmed with what's happening in my life. And what we want to do today is to look at a burden that all of us face from time to time, and some people um, seemingly more than others, and that's the burden of pain, the burden of pain. Everyone feels it. And so what I want to do first, though, is pray for us, because I know there's a lot of people even in the room right now who are hurting, okay? So if you would, would you bow with me? Father in heaven, we thank you for your love for us. We thank you for your kindness to us. And we thank you, God, for what your word tells us. And that is that when we were created, we were created without pain. And when we fell and we rebelled as humanity, that pain was introduced to our life. We confess that we feel it, that we deal with it, that we wrestle with it, and that we see other people wrestling with it, and it hurts us. It burdens us. We confess that to you. And in particular, Lord, this morning, I pray for those that are feeling pain physically or emotionally, spiritually right now as they're, as they're, as they're, as they're listening. I pray, Father, that you would encourage, that you would sympathize with them. Spirit, I pray that you would intercede for them. I pray that you would comfort people today with the truth of your word. I pray, God, that you would give us grace, grace to read your word, grace to be interested in what it says, not to be distracted with a million other things, grace to put it into practice in our life, to have courage to apply it. We thank you for what you're doing in our lives and pray now that as we open your word, that you would do a miracle, that you would speak through weakness once again in each of our lives. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, every one of us is true. We all wrestle with pain. And sometimes your pain is so intense that maybe you have looked like this, right? To where, to where there's, there's a part of your body uh, or maybe even a emotion. It's hard to grab those. But still, your facial expression, your bodily movement actually bears witness to the fact that you're experiencing some kind of pain at the moment. We've all experienced that. And we all know that pain hurts. We all know that pain distracts. If you are in that place and you're in your house, there's other things that are happening that simply don't matter at that moment because the only thing you can think about is the pain that you're experiencing. Third thing that's true about pain is it constricts. And what that means is this, is that if you are in that kind of pain, Halfway through the day, well, at the beginning of the day, you had a dream for that day. You had plans for that day, but suddenly pain has constricted your plans. It's constricted your ideas because now the only dream you have, the only plan you have is not to feel like this. It's to lay down. Pain is something that we all deal with. And yet for most of us, that pain 
It comes and then it goes. We have a headache and then we don't have a headache. We have a migraine and then we don't have a migraine. We burn ourselves and it hurts for a while. And then suddenly days or weeks later, it doesn't hurt as bad or anymore. But it's true also that for some people in life. Is that their pain lingers. It lingers on some spectrum of severity and it really comes in all different shapes and sizes. Some people, it's some kind of chronic illness, maybe arthritis or, or asthma, anorexia, maybe bipolar disorder, maybe some kind of bowel issue, bowel disease, a back pain, diabetes, depression, Lyme's disease, migraines, stress. It can also come in other shapes and sizes like a rocky marriage where you feel like you're in the marriage, you're totally committed to the marriage, and yet it hurts, and it's difficult, and you feel constrained, and you feel distracted from other things in your life. It may be a challenged child, a child that you love, a child that has gifts, a child that's made in the image of God, and yet struggles, and there's just a challenge, and here you are, and you're trying to wrestle with this challenged child, trying to help them to make it steps forward, and that distracts you, that kind of pain, it just, it, it constricts life. Maybe you've prayed to God in heaven, you've sought help on earth, and yet the pain remains in your life and your dreams are constricted. The question is, well, what then? What do you do at that moment? And what I want to encourage you to do then is what we're going to do right now, and that is to look to the word of God and to see how God helped a real man who was genuinely hurting until God finally and, 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 and forever eradicated his pain. It doesn't always happen on the earth, though. And this is what we find. Second Corinthians chapter 12, starting at verse seven. Paul says this. So to keep me from becoming conceited because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, a thorn was given in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from becoming conceited. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Now, There's a whole lot in this passage, like dreams, revelations, mysteries, thorns, messengers of Satan to harass that we need to explain. And the only way to really understand this particular man's story is to see how this particular man's story fits into the big story. And if you've been here, you're you're, you're thinking, is he really going to go back to Genesis 1-1 again? Well, in Genesis chapter one, verse one, it says in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And why that is so critically important is because the first four words of the Bible in the beginning, God, what that means is this, your life only makes sense when you are in a relationship with God. Sometimes even when you're in a relationship with God, things are so confusing and things don't make sense. But those who have no relationship with God, those who are separated from God, there literally is no hope for understanding the realities of your purpose, your origin, or your destiny. We were made to be in a relationship with God. And the Bible says that he created us with the capacity to relate to him, to know him. And in the garden, there was perfect peace and perfect clarity. 
And in spite of that perfect clarity, the Bible says that we made a decision to rebel against God's instructions and we sinned against God. And God was offended by this. And there were consequences. And one of those consequences that we read of is pain. It actually says that, that every single one of us were actually, we entered this world because our mother had pain. She endured pain in order to get you here. And then you're going to have to go through pain while you're here. And then we're all going to die. And for nearly every one of us, our death is going to accompany a measure of pain. Pain was one of the consequences of sin. Now, this doesn't mean that your particular pain is necessarily due to a particular sin that you've committed. So if you're dealing with cancer right now, it's not because you lied last year. And that, that idea actually shows itself in several places within the Bible. In John chapter 9, Jesus is walking with his disciples and they turn and they look. And there's a man who was born blind. He's just there. He's always been blind. Everyone knows him as the blind man. And his disciples actually asked Jesus, who sinned, him or his parents, that he was born blind? And Jesus said, no, you don't understand this. No, neither. This was for a purpose. When I say that sin brought upon pain, what I mean is simply this, is that our collective universal fallenness actually cascades upon the earth. And it means that brokenness and pain is going to find and touch every single one of us in some way. That's what the Bible teaches is the origin of pain. And yet God looked at us and he didn't want us separated from him. He didn't want us to have to spend forever in hell apart from him. He wanted us to be with him. And so in love, he made a promise to rescue us. And then he made good on that promise by sending his son. The Bible says in the fullness of time, God sent forth his son born of a woman in order to redeem us and reconcile us and bring us back into a relationship with God. Jesus Christ, his son, came to this earth as that rescuer. Jesus Christ, he lived without sin. And yet he was tempted in every way, just as you and I are. And so he can sympathize with everything that we're going through. And yet he had no sin and he took our sin upon himself. And he endured the worst kind of pain that anyone has ever felt on the earth. And he did it for us. He took our pain. He took our sin. And he died for it. And then he was buried in a grave. And then he rose from the dead. He rose from the dead. Now listen, this is really important to you and I. Because we all have a death sentence over our head. You know one day you're going to die. And there is one man in the history of the world who has conquered the grave. We should be overjoyed that somebody has pulled it off. And you know what's amazing? We should be absolutely attentive because this man who pulled it off says he'll share his power over the grave with everyone who trusts in him. Everyone who looks to him in faith, who admits that there is sinner, who believes in Jesus Christ and his accomplishments and who confesses him as Lord of their life. Well, just like many people within this room right now, there was a man in the New Testament after all this took place named Saul who didn't believe. He didn't trust Jesus. In fact, in his case, it says that he hated Jesus. He persecuted Christians. He, he wanted to kill and imprison Christians because he hated Jesus Christ. Until in Acts chapter 9, what we find is Jesus Christ, after his resurrection from the dead, appears to Saul on a road. Totally transforms his life. He begins to believe in Jesus Christ. 
And now suddenly God changes him so much that he says, you're going to need a new name. We're not going to call you Saul anymore. We're going to call you Paul. And this is the apostle Paul. Well, Paul, who was once a persecutor, now becomes a preacher. He wants to go tell everybody about Jesus. And so in Acts chapter 18, what we're told is that he gets to a city named Corinth. They've never heard the gospel. They've never heard that they can have their sins forgiven. And so he wants to get there and tell them he does. And suddenly they respond with such force that a church is birthed. People just like you and me who believe in Jesus Christ. They say, you know what? We should worship Jesus Christ and we should do it together. We should become a church. And he stays there a year and a half. And then he's burdened by the fact that there's other people who have never heard. And so he leaves that church. He goes away, but he loves them so much that when he hears that they're struggling, he writes them a letter. And that letter is called 1 Corinthians. And in it, he kind of corrects some of their behavior. Well, after he corrects their behavior, they say, you know what? Paul's right. We should repent. Some false teachers come to the city of Corinth. And they come there specifically in order to infiltrate this church. They want to teach a different gospel other than Jesus Christ crucified for our sins. And so you know what they do? They think that the fastest way to undercut the gospel is to undercut the person's character who gave them the gospel. And so they come in accusing Paul. They claim superiority over Paul. And Paul is so burdened that this church is going to let go and say, you know what? This is true. Let's let's have a different gospel. Let's believe in something else. That he has to write them another letter and we call it Second Corinthians. It's a letter to the church in Corinth. And what he does in here is he actually makes himself really uncomfortable because what he does is he has to defend himself and to defend yourself. You have to what feels like elevate yourself. And so let me show you his discomfort in this. In chapter 11, this is what he says, starting in verse 16. I repeat, let no one think me foolish, but even if you do accept me as a fool so that I too may boast a little. In other words, he's just finished saying, this is what these false teachers are boasting about. And you're listening to them. So if that's what you want to listen to, then I'm going to play the part of the fool. And I'm going to boast so that you can see that you really should listen to what I told you. And so what he does, look what it says in verse 21. He goes, but whatever anyone else dares to boast of. And then he pauses and he goes, I can't believe I'm about to do this. I'm speaking as a fool. I also dare to boast of that. Are they Hebrews? So am I. Are they Israelites? So am I. Are they offspring of Abraham? So am I. Are they servants of Christ? I'm a better one. And then he pauses and he goes, I am talking like a madman. And then he goes on and he talks about everything that he suffered. Well, we get to chapter 12 and notice what he says in verse 1. He says, I must go on boasting. Though there is nothing to be gained by it, I will go on to visions and revelations of the Lord. Why does he do this? Because these other people have claimed that they have a new revelation from God that's a different gospel. He says, well, if they have revelations, they're going to have to boast and you're going to believe them. Then let me tell you what happened to me one day. He says, I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago was caught up to the third heaven, whether in the body, that means physically or out of the body, meaning like a dream. I don't know. God knows. And I know that this man was caught up into paradise, whether in the body or out of the body. I do not know. God knows. And he heard things that cannot be told, which man may not utter. On behalf of this man, I will boast. But on my own behalf, I will not boast except of my weaknesses. 
Though if I should wish to boast, I would not be a fool, for I would be speaking the truth. But I refrain from it, so that no one may think more of me than he sees in me or hears from me. Now, I'm telling you all this context so that you have some bearing that we just plop down in the middle of a guy saying that God gave me a thorn in order to deal so that I'm not conceited by these revelations. That's the context of what's happening. But in the as he does that, what he, what he also does, though, is he unveils something that we can all kind of identify with. And that is what it feels like to have a thorn in the flesh that you want to take out, but you can't. You pray that God would take it out, and he won't. There's some pain. There's some emotional trauma. There's some physical pain. There's some relational pain, some spiritual attack. You want it to leave, and it simply won't. Now, I'm not saying that all of our pain is due to the fact that you're becoming conceited, and so God's protecting. That's, those are the details of his story. But what I want you to see is this, is that this was a man who was familiar with a particular kind of pain, just like you. And what I want to show you is some truths that we find here that really are encouraging every single one of us, regardless of what our pain might be or the purpose of it in our life. The first is this, is that God, the God of the universe, he is sympathetic to our pain. Paul was actually hurting. Verse 10 says that he was enduring insults, hardship, persecution, and calamities. In chapter 11, it says that he's been whipped, he's been beaten, he's been, he's been stoned, he's been shipwrecked, he's been in danger everywhere he goes. He's experienced tremendous pain. And then what we find in our text is that he's endured all of this with a thorn in his side. Now, the thorn was not a literal thorn. This is a metaphor. And we don't know if it's physical. We don't know if it's as emotional or spiritual. We don't know what the cause was. But the word thorn can also mean splinter or even stake. A splinter, it just gets in there and it just irritates constantly. You just, you just rub up against it. All of a sudden, it irritates again. But a stake is a little bit different because a stake literally ties you to the ground. And the fact is, if Paul were able, he would remove the thorn and he would stop the insults and the persecutions and the hardships. But just like this wrestler who is pinned to the ground, Paul, too, was pinned underneath his thorn. He was unable to free himself. He was underneath something that had overpowered him. And he's looking to get out from that moment, but he does not have the strength. In other words, his weakness is exposed. So he prays. He says on three different occasions, he prayed, God, would you take this from me? And God didn't take it from him. Now, let me ask you, have you been there? Maybe you're there right now. You, you feel like something is overpowering you. You are you're being pinned. If you had the strength, you would get out from under it, but you don't. So you prayed to God and you're still under it. You think, what am I supposed to do? What am I supposed to think? Well, the easiest thing to believe in that moment is that God either lacks awareness of my situation. He lacks power over my situation or he lacks concern. And this is where a lot of people come to with a problem of pain. They look and they say, you know what? God's just not aware. He's distracted with other things. If he knew he's such a God of love and such a God of power that he would surely come and rescue. So he, he just doesn't know. 
Some people say, no, that's not true. He is aware. He sees all things. He just doesn't have the power. God's up there saying, man, I would love to come and help. I just can't. I don't know what I'd do. And then other people, they, they go, no, 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 that's not true. He's absolutely aware and he absolutely has power. He just doesn't care. He just looks down. And he's like, yeah, whatever. Deal with that. And this is the easiest thing. Even if you don't say it, don't you feel it? Have you ever gone through pain and said, you know what? God just doesn't care about me. God just doesn't see what's going on. No one sees what's going on. God doesn't have the power over this. This is what's most natural to believe when we're going through pain. But notice all three of these were wrong assumptions in the life of Paul. You see, God didn't lack awareness because he did respond to Paul's prayer. He didn't respond the way he wanted to, but he did respond. And so he's clearly aware that he is praying and that he has a thorn. We also know that God didn't lack power because he promised power, a power that would be put on display. It would be completed so that other people can see it. We also know that God did not lack concern. And the reason we know this is because he did give him something. He didn't give him what he thought he wanted, but he gave him something that he says that will be sufficient or enough to meet this need. This is what the Bible teaches us, that God the Father, that God the Father comforts us in all of our affliction. This is what we learn. He says, blessed be the father of mercies and the God of all comfort who comforts us in all of our affliction. God, the Holy Spirit is a high priest who sympathizes with our weaknesses. Hebrews 4.15 says that we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses. He, he can sympathize with pain. And God, the Holy Spirit says that the Spirit helps us in our weaknesses by interceding for the saints according to the will of God. What I want you to know, friend, is that God is sympathetic to your pain. Not only is he sympathetic, he's also sovereign over it. God is sovereign over our pain. This is the second big truth. Paul calls his thorn a messenger of Satan. That's an interesting thing to call a thorn, isn't it? A messenger of Satan that was sent to harass. And the Bible teaches this, that there is Satan, is his name, that he has messengers, he has minions, And he attempts to tempt us and to harass the believers. First Peter chapter five, verse eight says, your adversary, the devil prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. What you need to see within this text is this is not only is Satan at work within this thorn, but God is at work in the thorn as well. And we know this because, first of all, the thorn is there to prevent pride. Paul acknowledges that in order to keep me from becoming conceited or proud. This is in my life. You have to understand something is that Satan never intends to prevent pride. He always intends to mushroom and create greater pride in our life. So God is at work. The second reason that we know this is because God affirms after listening to his prayer for, for relief, God does speak to him. And when he speaks, he says, look, my power is made perfect. It's completed. It's going to be seen in your weakness here. In other words, God is active just as Satan is active. This is really interesting. You find within the Bible and you find it in your life is that God, heaven and hell are both sometimes involved in similar events, but for different purposes. But this is what God does. I just love how this picture there's this there's this um, art form of fighting. Okay, judo. 
It's a fascinating thing. If you find somebody in your life, right, who is strong and has intentions to harm you and is and their momentum is moving towards you. The most natural thing to do if you feel weaker than them is to run the other way, isn't it? Unless you're like a judo master. Right? Because what judo does is it seeks to identify the strengths and momentum of someone coming against and using their strength, their force, their inertia against them once they get close enough to your hands. And the Bible says that God is like this judo master over everything, using Satan's evil momentum against him. Let me show you it in its purest form. The Bible tells us that Satan entered into the heart of Judas Iscariot. And when he did, the Bible says that he went and handed Jesus over to be crucified. Now, these are evil intentions. Herod, Pilate, the Romans, the Jews, they all had evil intentions with Jesus. And when Jesus was handed over and he went to the cross, terrible things happened. Excruciating pain was endured. But you know what the Bible says? It says that God was leveraging all of that evil momentum and inspiration in order to save us. Acts chapter 4 verse 28 says, in this city, this is Christians in Acts praying to God. And this is what they pray to him. They say, God, in this city, they were gathered together against your holy servant, Jesus, your anointed one, both Herod and Pilate. With the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel. What are you saying? All these people have evil intentions inspired by Satan himself. But they're doing so to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. And so God took the momentum of evil. And he took the world's worst murder. And he made it into the salvation for the whole world. This is what God does with evil over and over through history. We find God using Satan's schemes and momentum and intentions in order to bring salvation and maturity to his people. I don't know why you hurt, but I know God sympathizes with your pain and I know he is sovereign over it. The third thing we learn here is that he is also strategic with our pain. He's strategic with our pain. You see, our fallen heart has a funny way of attributing blessing to our greatness. The most natural instinct within our fallen heart is when good things happen, we conclude that we're just a great guy. That's why it's happening to me. It's because I'm skilled. It's because I'm, it's because I studied. It's because I'm, it's because I'm great at what I do. That's what, that's just naturally the fallen instinct is when good things happen, we think I had something to do with that. Muhammad Ali one time got on an airplane. He is the one who told this story and he said, I didn't want to put my seatbelt on. So the flight attendant comes and sees that he doesn't have a seatbelt on. She says, sir, you're going to need to put your seatbelt on. And he says, well, Superman doesn't need a seatbelt. And the flight attendant says, well, Superman doesn't need a plane either. So buckle up. We all have pride. So notice what happens here. 
God allows Paul to experience something that is absolutely stunning. And that is that 14 years prior to him writing this, he says, he allowed me to have a sneak peek to heaven. And this should really encourage us. You see, if Paul had that experience and then he came back and he just like, he was just a bum, just lived for himself. He was totally selfish, just lived to hurt people. We might conclude that heaven wasn't all that special. That it didn't leave such a mark. And yet what we find when Paul came back is a man who, there's never been another man that's lived with more intent for the kingdom of God and for the glory of Jesus Christ than the apostle Paul. And it's because he saw him. That should encourage you. And I know it encourages me. So God gave this man an opportunity to see it. And then he permitted a thorn to keep his heart from becoming conceited. Now notice what those... Those words are important in order to keep my heart from becoming conceited. In other words, this wasn't punishment from God. This was protection. He wasn't arrogant yet. And God didn't want him to get there. And so he gave him a thorn to protect him. God loves humility, but you need to understand something. Your humility is not God's ultimate goal. Your humility and mine is the means to his ultimate goal and strategy. What is that? God's ultimate strategy is to showcase the glory of his son. That is what he is about. And you know, the Bible tells us how he doesn't do this and how he does it. He says, my intent is not to exalt some celebrity that has this huge platform that will give me a nod every once in a while. And this is how oftentimes we think. We look at celebrity and they have a big platform. We think, wow, if God would just save that person, think of all the glory Jesus would get. And the Bible doesn't go there. You know where the Bible goes? The Bible says this, is that God chooses to pour his power over the weaknesses of his weak and trusting children. So that they can endure and even rejoice in the midst of their pain. And the reason is because this platform, strengthening our weakness, is more credible to the hurting and weak multitudes that live around this globe that are all pinned under something. And it also leaves absolutely no doubt as who is worthy of glory when he does it. This is why Paul is boasting in weakness. Because when we embrace our own weaknesses, it makes room for God's power so that he can receive all the glory. I've told you many times about my problem growing up. I had a stutter, a pretty significant speech impediment. And I mean, I'm not hiding anything. I I see him on this massive screen. You'd look at me and you think, and every single Sunday, there's times where I stumble over words. Not nearly like I used to. But still I do. My closest friends, they can look right at me and they know exactly when I have a word that I want to say. It won't come out. So I'm looking for another word just to go in the back door. I've been embarrassed more through that weakness, I think, than any other thing in my life repeatedly. It's it's an amazing thing. And there's been so many times I'm just like, God, why? Why would you do this? I remember when uh, I moved from Missouri to North Carolina to go to seminary over here and I enrolled at the seminary and, and, and you have to have a class there on preaching. And so hop in the class on preaching and, you know, and suddenly it's my turn to preach. And in a seminary, what you do is 
it's, it's not this big, uh, but, but, but everybody is there. They're all your classmates and your professor, and they all handed a sheet, and everybody has a clipboard, and they're writing down, evaluating everything you're doing. They don't care about your sermon, you understand. They care about what you're doing in order to help improve you. That's, yeah, um, to improve you. That's, that's what that is. And so it was my term, first one. I still have this because hopefully you'll never see it, but we had to videotape it because then we would have to go home and evaluate ourselves. And it was a paramount disaster. Halfway through, I was doing great, and all of a sudden I get distracted, and suddenly it just the wheels fell off. I started stuttering. It was it was it was shaming, it was embarrassing. I remember going for a walk saying, What am I doing in North Carolina? What are you doing with me? I'm only here because I thought you told me to do this. You know, there's been many times in my life that I've wondered why God is not, I, I prayed a whole lot more than Paul did. More, three times is nothing. Uh, <laughs> God, take this away. The only thing I can, can conclude is this, is that, is that it gives me an opportunity to boast of his grace and his power every time that I get up. And hopefully that you'll see that he has power over your weakness. You see, so what do you do? Well, first of all, I want to encourage you to seek relief. Do seek it. Don't read all. Don't 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 read in this. Okay, well, God's going to be glorified if I'm weak. So let me just inflict pain upon myself. No, no, no. Paul prayed to get rid of the pain. Okay, we're getting rid of the pain. So go to God in prayer. Go to a doctor. Go to a counselor. But if you must wait and pain remains, what do you do? Let me give you a few applications before we close. First is let's develop a Christ centered view of pain. Pain is common to all of us. What's natural when we feel it is to complain about it, to compare our life to other people's lives who don't look like they have to go through so much, or to blame, to blame ourselves, to blame others, to blame God. But I want to encourage you to consider God's deeper purpose, and that is to participate in Christ's glory through it. You see, this same Apostle Paul, this is what he wrote to another church. This is um, Colossians chapter one, verse 24, it says, I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake. And in my flesh, I'm filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body. That is the church. Now you are, you, you, if, if, if you're a Christian, you have to ask the question, what is lacking in Christ's afflictions? Did he not suffer enough? Like, was his blood not strong enough for all of us? Was it for some of us? And so Paul had to help him out a little bit. No, no, no. What was lacking? Something's lacking. That's what it says. Something is lacking in Christ's afflictions. And this is what's lacking. People who were intended recipients of that blood don't know anything about that blood. There are people around the globe right now. They do not know of the gospel of Jesus Christ, that he came and he died for them. They don't know about the rescue. How are they going to know? Not by promoting some celebrity. Know what God does. As he says this, I'm going to let my own children experience a measure of pain. And in doing so, that pain is going to become a window through which people can look at their life and they can redirect their attention to another person's pain that was poured out on their benefit, for their benefit, for their eternal salvation. Friends, don't waste your pain. Redirect it. Redirect people's attention to see someone who's suffered. 
who loves him in ways that I'll never understand. Second thing I want to encourage is let's use the Bible to give voice to our pain. When we hurt, words come out of our mouth. Now, last week I had laryngitis, so words weren't flowing. But the fact is, is they were still flowing in my mind. And all of our words, they all originate in the heart. And so what I want to encourage you to do is to fill your heart with truth. So what comes out of your mouth when you get squeezed is true. I encourage you to open the Psalms and add your voice to hurting people who look to God in Psalm 10, Psalm 13, Psalm 42, Psalm 44, Psalm 77, Psalm 88. Echo their words. Sing and cry out to God just as they do. Fill your heart with God-centered means when you're going through pain. Open up Romans and add your voice to what Paul said when he said, we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance and endurance produces character and character produces hope. Add your voice to Paul when he said, we do not lose heart for this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. You know, one thing that I struggle with physically, just the pain, right? I have, I have a, a bowel problem. I have a gut problem. 15 years. I struggle with it all the time. God, why? Why would you do that? I don't know why, but this is what I do know. I find myself over 15 years saying more and more and more, this is going to make heaven all the sweeter. And that's what Paul's saying. We don't lose heart. Why? Because this light momentary is momentary. It may be a bunch of moments on the earth, but it's nothing in comparison to eternity. Glory that will be there beyond all comparison. Third is let's school ourselves in the hope of the resurrection. I was not kidding when I said that we all face a date with death and we should all be overjoyed that someone overcame it and has promised to share his power over it if you'll believe in him. And today, for those of you who are here and you've never trusted Christ, I welcome you to admit that you are a sinner, to believe in Jesus Christ and his accomplishments and confess him as Lord of your life. And the Bible says he will forgive you of all of your sin and he will give you his righteousness. That's available for you and me today. And for those of you who have trusted Christ and you continue to feel pain, let me urge you to ask God to use that pain to make you long for the day when you will stand painless before the living God. And the way that I do this is I remind myself frequently, and I do that by reading of the resurrection account of Jesus Christ. Because when I see the certainty of his resurrection, I'm reminded of the certainty of mine. And the last thing I want you to see and encourage you to do is let's love one another through pain. You know, as a church family, one of my hopes in this series is to show that it's okay not to be okay. That's why I tell you even things about my own life, weaknesses and problems and wrestling matches that I go through. It's because it's okay not to be okay. We need one another. See, pain tempts us to withdraw and to place our needs above other people's needs. But let me tell you something. Even when you are the current sufferer, Jesus' second command, that is you shall love your neighbor as yourself, it still applies to you. The application of it may look differently. You may not have the strength to make someone a meal, but you may have the strength to lay in bed and pray for them. It's still love. And so love And for those of you who are currently well, let me just encourage you to take this time to enter into other people's suffering, to bear one another's burdens and fulfill the law of Christ. 
Let me encourage you to ask people how they're doing, to listen to how they're doing, to pray for how they're doing, and then ask again real soon. To love one another, to care for one another as people who are, who are weak. So let me pray for us. Father in heaven, we love you. We thank you for your amazing kindness to us. We believe what your word says, even though we struggle sometimes to see that you're sympathetic and sovereign and strategic with all the pain that we're enduring. But I pray, Father, that you would remind us that even when we don't have the strength to hold on, to seemingly hold on to you, we thank you that your word tells us that you hold fast to us. So as we sing about that reality, and even as we sing while we give, our hope and prayer is not only that you would be glorified as we sing to you, but that you would take our meager gifts and that you would take these resources and use them to propel the gospel to go fast and far to the ends of the earth, that people, recipients of your afflictions, would be able to hear about your afflictions on their behalf. We pray all this in Christ's name. Amen.